uh, for joining me today. Uh, uh, today I'm, um, uh, I have the pleasure of having as guest uh, Don Jackson and Lauren Lawson. They're researchers from the University of Toronto, and they recently um, conducted and published uh, some findings on some fascinating research about the impact of rock salt on aquatic waterways in and around Toronto. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. Well, you know, this is um, uh, our industry, which is the commercial side of the industry, essentially uh, everything having to do with snow and ice management in the winter that doesn't have uh, that doesn't involve roads or highways. We're obviously very sensitive to this issue. We might not we use a lot of rock salt, maybe not to the same magnitude as uh, departments of transportations, but but a fair amount on um, pavement surfaces. So I know um, my readers are very um interested in, in these findings and, and preserving the environment. Um, can you tell guys, um, Don or Lauren, uh, whoever wants to jump in, tell me a little bit about this research. Um, back to like what got you focused on this and kind of what you went, um, what the research entailed and what you found. Lauren, why don't you kick things off? Sure. Uh, so this was the first uh, part of my graduate studies at the University of Toronto with Don. And we got together um, in right as I was starting my graduate studies and we're deciding on the path of my research. And we got to talking about road salt and its effects on aquatic ecosystems, specifically related to urban systems, because um, we're both very interested in the interactions of urban systems and freshwater systems. So how mm -hmm. urbanization is impacting um, freshwater ecosystems. And tying in road salt into that, we were interested in looking at how road salt is impacting freshwater ecosystems within urban settings year round. So research has shown that we do have these elevated chloride levels in the wintertime, which makes sense because that's when we're applying road salt and it's flushing into our riverways. But more and more research is showing that these chloride elevations can actually persist year round and into the summertime. So because there's not a lot of research out there and not a lot of data on what those concentrations are during the summertime at a broad scale, so across an entire city, we decided to do a large field study where we actually went out to many, to four of the rivers within the Toronto, uh, water within Toronto, and then uh, took water samples and um, analyzed that, uh, those samples to figure out what the chloride concentrations are within the watersheds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don, did you find it uh, interesting, the, the findings that these chloride levels remained high even in the warmer summer months when you may um, think they would come down since no more, obviously, road salt's being used? Certainly, um, the magnitude of the elevations is a real surprise. Um, I, I think certainly based on some of the existing work that's out in the literature, it's not surprising that they could be higher than we'd have for background. But finding levels that, you know, sort of at the best of times in the year exceed what our um, government acute levels um, was a bit of a shock, I think, to us and a bit of an eye opener. Um, so it just sh certainly shows how um, kind of pervasive um, salt, sodium and chloride have become in the groundwater and, uh, and within watersheds that some of these ranging certainly from being very urbanized areas, but you know, the uh, headwater areas that we started the work in are areas in some cases that really have relatively little road development. So they're they're forested or agricultural catchments. Lauren, um, when you were um, conducting the research, 
were you also looking at um, the impact it was having on flora and fauna or were you mostly just um, looking at uh, chloride levels in the in the water so we did is we uh, took those water samples and looked at the chloride levels but then we used the um, Canadian water quality guidelines for chloride um, to estimate the impact that it would be having on the species in the rivers so that's a document um, specifically geared towards the protection of aquatic life and that's the document that lays out the uh, chronic and acute thresholds for mm -hmm. um, organisms so we used an equation that they derived within that document to predict back the impacts that it would be having on sites and, and what did those predictions um, indicate uh, they indicated that many many of the sites would be seeing uh, significant impacts um, and that about 13% of the sites actually exceeded the acute guidelines that we found. And then we ended up estimating that 34% of the sites that we did look at, uh, we estimated that at least a quarter of the species would be impacted. Oh my gosh. Um, Don, you know, seeing that this research involved um, uh, waterways and water resources around urban areas, um, can, did, can you surmise the impact that this might have on urban infrastructure, uh, you oh, know, water I, I think... treatment, um, uh, even, you know, pipes, that sort of thing? Is it going to have a, a, um, an extended impact? I, I think certainly the impact on infrastructure, there, there are studies out there documenting impacts on, on bridges, on roadways, on, uh, on vehicles, things like that. So that there's certainly a lot of information that's already been looked at. And I think that while we are not specifically looking at that, that, that represents a large cost to society um, in terms of the infrastructure cost, as well as potentially environmental costs. And, and as we start seeing um, increasing levels in well waters, um, mm -hmm. the potential for human health issues too. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, there's been a lot, you know, when these, as these studies come out, studies such as yourselves, there's a very popular one um, out of Minnesota. Um, there has been some studying going on in upstate New York. Uh, there was even legislation passed the last election cycle here to, to look in the end, to look at this much closely in the Adirondack region of the upper state New York. Um, can, and, and so one of the, um, one of the, uh, po proposed solutions is just to be more conscious of the amount of, uh, salt being put down and to reduce the amount of salt and to perhaps use methods and technologies that will allow for less salt to be put down. And I guess my question for you, and, and, and I know this maybe extends a little bit beyond your research, but as scientists, um, is how much of an impact will a reduction in salt have and 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 can it allow these waterways to bounce back and is it possible once these waterways are have a, a certain amount of chloride in them um can, can they bounce back so i personally believe that we don't have the data to be able to predict that yet mm -hmm. so the, the first step as you said is reduction so starting to reduce our salt, but at the same time, making sure that everyone in the salt community is recording how much they are actually putting down, because that will uh, allow us as scientists to be able to make those predictions more solidly. 
can you comment on you know do these waterways and these water systems do they have the ability to bounce back let's say you know um we, we're able to reduce the amount of salt and um you know is this is this a you know can we you know turn this back and can they return to their original levels sure i'll i'll jump in on this one so it, since, since you mentioned the adirondacks one of the uh issues that comes to mind is from a, another major environmental concern at one point was acid rain Mm -hmm. And and that was a big impact on the Adirondacks, big impact in southern Quebec and Ontario and things. Um, by reducing the loading that was going on in terms of acid generating materials, um, a lot of the ecosystems have recovered greatly. So they've improved. And those that haven't improved, at least we've um, reduced the rate of their decline. And I think that's we could use that as kind of a parallel here that if we can reduce the amounts of salt going in, um, certainly we minimize further damage. But some of these systems, I think, have the potential to recover, um, you know, even if we're just reducing the amount of salt. Um, certainly, if we could figure out better ways of minimizing the amounts, um, I think there's certainly lots of potential for some of these regions to improve. If you're looking at you know what's happening in downtown toronto or downtown chicago or new york city and things like that there are a lot of other environmental stressors that are there as well and so it's it's a more complicated issue but in some of the more suburban and rural regions i think there there's a lot that we can do mm -hmm, mm -hmm, very interesting so um i guess my, my my last question is what's next for your research uh lauren and don um what are you good planning to look at next and 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 what's the next step where do you go from here um, so part of our research is going to be involving uh, looking at the effects of road salt and chloride specifically on an endangered species, mm -hmm. uh, which is called the red side dace. So it's a, a fish spe minnow species that's found um, predominantly in the Toronto region in Canada. So about 80% of its Canadian distribution is found within Toronto. Um, so it's uh, threatened by pollution and numerous impacts of urbanization. So we'll be looking at chloride directly related to that fish species. Very interesting. And what, what do you hope to find and what do you hope this will tell you? Uh, we hope that it will tell us um, if chloride could be impacting uh, the distribution of red side dates. So it's uh, road salt and pollution is named as one of the threats to the species. So we'll just be looking at it a little bit closer because as to our knowledge, there are no um, literature published that suggests specifically that it's more of just the overall impacts of urbanization and pollution. So we'll mm -hmm. be getting into the nitty gritty details to see the finer scale impacts. Very interesting. And Don, you and Lauren are very much on the forefront of a lot of this research right now. I know it's becoming very popular. Do you, um, among researchers, do you expect to see uh, much more data entering the mainstream with regard to um, road salt's impact on, on the environment? I, I certainly do. I think there's a lot more information that, uh, for instance, many governments are making available that provide sort of long-term trends about um, what's happening with um, concentrations in the environment, the amounts that are being applied. Um, and as people start doing more direct field or lab work, um, we gain more insight. Um, but just have, you know, the coordination and, and uh, connections that a lot of people are gaining in being able to exchange data and results, I think is a really important uh, factor. And being able to show what might be happening at very local scales to what's happening, you know, across Eastern North America, for instance. Um, it, it's not many of these instances in past we've looked at, 
these very local watersheds, but uh, starting to think about it in terms of the, the broader regional or almost continental level um, mm -hmm. effects, I think is an important piece. And I guess one one last question, uh, mostly because I'm just across the pond from you guys here in the Cleveland area. Since all these waterways, I'm guessing they all run into um, larger freshwater bodies like Lake Erie. Um, is there a threat to um, uh, our lake systems as well? Certainly, um, when you get to the size of the Great Lakes, there it, it's going to take a lot of time before we reach kind of threatening levels within mm -hmm. them. But we have, for instance, a large lake, Lake Simcoe, that's located north of Toronto, and I think it's had about a five-fold increase in uh, chloride levels over the past several decades, and and that's all going to be from um, road salt applications, um, for the most part. Um, so you can certainly have some of these larger water bodies being impacted, and I think they're. You'd mentioned earlier studies in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, they've looked at lakes there and various other regions, and and we see these elevated levels and and with some of the work taking place in Canada where we're dealing with softwater lakes um, we see that as well they are really susceptible to what might be relatively minor increases mm -hmm. in uh, sodium and chloride 